Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for president. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We talked about this yesterday, and I guess my only surprise is maybe should somebody should have come to this conclusion beforehand. Over the weekend, Trump National, which is the old Doral golf course, um, they, they play lots of big PGA tournaments there in Miami. Apparently this weekend, it was supposed to be the site of something, I don't know, called, it was a golf outing sponsored by something called Shadow Cabaret, which is a Miami strip club. And, of course, uh, Trump National is is owned by the, the Trump Corporation. And the idea behind this particular tournament is that there would be dancers slash strippers who would serve as caddies. And the VIP golfers could bid on them, and then they would play golf, and then afterwards everybody would leave the Trump property and they'd go back to this strip joint, and there there would be a a tasteful, what was the phrase, a tasteful burlesque show that would include nudity. Hmm. Okay, now I understand everybody's, you know, over 18 and over 21 and whatever, but... You, you want to talk about something where the optics are are bad, and you know. And here you have President Trump that constantly is being attacked for his position on women, and you've got all that access Hollywood stuff that's still out there. And I understand that President Trump wasn't going to attend, but having his golf course, and there's a million golf courses, and you know, in South Florida that could do this, having the the Trump properties host this particular outing, especially given that the president's problems with the stripper Stormy Daniels happened after a a golf outing somewhere, you you would think that, I don't know, somebody in the Trump organization would think, huh, strip joints, strippers as caddies, golf, probably best to pass on this business. And they didn't. And then what happened is the Washington Post found out and it became a story. Well, the update on that is, I don't know. It's not going to be held at uh, his property anymore. Trump's company canceled strip club-sponsored golf tournament at his Florida resort um, after the Washington Post dropped the dime on this. They decided, okay, maybe this, maybe the, what would be that phrase? It's a cliche, but it's true. The optics are bad. Yeah, I think that could possibly be it. So... That's uh, if, if you were looking to play golf and and, and buy a, a stripper slash caddy, I, you're going to have to do it somewhere else this weekend if you happen to be in South Florida. All right, let's get started. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I hope this defense does not work because if it does, it's going to be open season on police officers. All week, there's been the trial of a guy named Jordan Frick who murdered Milwaukee police officer Matthew Rittner. The prosecution is going to be wrapping up its testimony, presentation of evidence sometime early afternoon would be my guess. The defense will then have an opportunity to put on evidence. I would be stunned 
stunned if the defendant testifies. I don't think you're going to see him get anywhere near the witness stand. I don't know if there's going to be much defense. My guess is this case is going to have closing arguments and go to the jury by tomorrow. That would be just my my guess on the timetable for this. But what's interesting about this case is the facts really aren't at issue. Let us review the bidding. This is a situation where the Milwaukee Police Department, they get what is called a no-knock search warrant to go over to Jordan Frick's upstairs uh, apartment. It's like a there's an apartment on the first floor. There's an apartment on the second floor. His is on the second floor. They get be, the, the, the search warrant allows them to look for guns and drugs. The evidence is, and the informant says, that there's drugs being sold out of the place, marijuana is being sold out of the place, and and guns. And the thing that's outlined is that, you know, Frick and his partner have been buying these illegal guns, and then they sell them to people who can't legally own guns. So that that's the whole premise. So the authorities get a no-knock search warrant. A no-knock search warrant allows them to, to simply go through the door as they are announcing their presence. Other search warrants, what you have to do is you have to say, police, open up, and you have to give them a time to open up. When you're dealing with guns or drugs, there is an exigency. There's an emergency because people can destroy drugs or people can get the guns and they can be prepared to shoot it out. So the authorities had this no-knock search warrant. So the, the tactical unit goes over, and I'll tell you what happens in just a minute, and then we're going to open up the phone lines and get your reactions. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so the police go over to this Jordan Frick's house. He's living in the upstairs of, like, a two-story apartment. They have the SWAT team that's there. They go in through the back door, they take a battering ram, bang down the back door. They're now yelling, police, police, search warrant. They run up the back stairs. They get to the back door of his second floor apartment, which like opens into the kitchen. They are then using this battering ram to bang down the, the kitchen door. It, it takes a couple hits to get this down. In the meantime, again, the police are yelling, police, search warrant, etc., things like that. It's, by the way, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, so we're not talking about this in the middle of the night. All of a sudden, Jordan Frick, who has an AK-47, he's standing in the kitchen. He fires through the door. He's in the kitchen. He fires through the opening in the door and hits Milwaukee police officer Matthew Rittner, and he apparently hits him in a place that he's not protected. That shot kills him. Now, we have an idea as to what's going on inside the Frick apartment because his girlfriend testified yesterday. She says that they'd gone to bed about 3 o'clock in the morning, and about 9 o'clock in the morning they wake up hearing loud noises like banging and yelling. She says she goes to uh, gets out of bed, goes to the kitchen, where she said Frick was already standing with a gun, one of several he kept in the apartment including a shotgun that pretty much lived on a coffee table in the living room amongst video game controllers. Huh. Got all these video game controllers, and, of course, you've got your shotgun. The girlfriend says the AK-47 that Frick used to shoot the officer typically hung from the headboard of his bed or sat atop a safe. 
that served as a nightstand. Okay, so the guy's got a shotgun in the living room. He's got an AK-47 across the headboard. Um, he kept, this is according to the girlfriend, he kept other guns in a safe, she said. She then testified she wasn't too concerned as her seven-year-old son frequently spent the night at the apartment with her. Let me let that one just linger in the air for a moment. I don't want to distract from where we're going. But, okay, here you have this this woman who is staying, at least on occasion, at the apartment with this guy with her seven-year-old son. There's a shotgun that's on routinely on the table amidst the video game controllers. There's an AK-47 that hangs from the headboard. And there's all sorts of other guns in the place. And she didn't think anything about having her seven-year-old son stay at the apartment. All right, let's put that one aside for a minute. All right, so anyhow, she says what happens is, you know, they, they hear... They they hear that there's police. She hears them scream police. She hears them scream search warrant. She goes into the kitchen. Frick is standing there with the gun, and then he shoots shoots through the door and hits and kills the police officer. She said she initially thought it was police, but then the fact that they were banging on the door made her doubt it. She said she expected the police would knock and say something before breaking in based on what she's seen on TV shows like cops, um, only two or three seconds passed, she estimated, between um, them knocking down the door and the shots. She wasn't even sure which came first, although police body cameras clearly show the shots came after the third strike from the battering ram. All right, so th- this is what happened. There, there's really, this isn't a dispute. I mean, the facts aren't in question. You've got the police at 9 o'clock in the morning that are executing this warrant. They're screaming, police, search warrant. They're banging down the door. The guy gets up. He takes his AK-47 from the bed stand, presumably, goes into the kitchen and shoots through the door, despite the fact that the people on the other side are yelling, police, search warrant. The argument to the jury is going to be this was a legitimate act of self-defense. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And like I say, I don't think I could could be wrong. I will be shocked if this defendant gets anywhere near the witness stand. I think what's going to happen is the attorney will probably, in closing arguments, try to make that case. Oh, he thought maybe this was rival drug dealers or rival gangsters or whatever trying to break into the place. He was stunned awake. He didn't know what was going on. So he grabbed his AK-47 and he shot at the source of the news, at the source of the noise. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sorry, if I'm on the jury, I'm not buying I'm not buying this as a defense. I appreciate legitimate exercises of self-defense. I don't think self-defense extends to police were executing a search warrant, so you grab your gun and you fire through doors without knowing what it is that you are shooting at. 414-799-1620. That's the um, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is going to have to be decided by the jury. But really, the facts in this matter aren't at issue. Does this strike you as being a legitimate exercise of self-defense? And if a jury buys this, is it now open season on police? Because I guarantee you, you know, anybody, you know, who's got a search warrant, any gangster, any drug dealer, anybody who's got the police coming in 
are they now going to be authorized to open fire, saying, oh, we didn't know for sure it was the cops? 414-799-1620. Dave on the south side. Dave, Dave you're first. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say, that uh, if he gets off, any drug dealer on the north or south side could get off and say he didn't know it was the police, even though he's dealing drugs and guns. And, you know, eventually they're going to come for him, Jeff, so... Well, I mean, thanks for I mean, that I mean that 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 is that is the the concern with this. And look, and I look, I I'm somebody who appreciates that the fact that you know you you have a legitimate right to to self defense. And I understand, and I have argued in the past that you've had cases where you have the burglars breaking into somebody's house at three o'clock in the morning. So you have the person, the homeowner, that arms themselves and goes to see what happens, and they confront the burglar and they shoot him inside the house. Okay, I. I understand, and I'm the same guy that's argued that that is a legitimate exercise of self-defense. That's not what this case is, it seems to me. These, this is you know, a guy who, at least the judge has found probable cause to believe that he has committed crimes. You have It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's not 3 a.m. at night. You have you know, police who are clearly identifying themselves as police, and they are screaming, search warrant. And I don't think the doctrine of self-defense allows you to take your AK-47 and just shoot randomly through a door at people on the other side who are yelling police. 414-799-1620. Back with more of your calls in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Like I said, I predict this case is going to go to the jury probably sometime tomorrow. Um, I, I don't know that you're going to... I will be shocked if the defendant testifies. But again, the, the facts are pretty much uncontroverted. Police at 9 o'clock in the morning executing a search warrant. The defendant grabs his AK-47, shoots through the door as they are trying to come in. He now says, well, I didn't know that it was necessarily the police, despite the fact that they're screaming police search warrant. To me, that's not a legitimate exercise of self-defense. Let's talk to Pablo in Milwaukee. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. So, Castle Doctrine affords you the right to protect yourself in the home. However, you still have to meet the target requirements that include target acquisition, isolation, and most important, identification, which was not met here. Right. They had no right to shoot. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, you just... Even in the idea that you want to protect yourself, that doesn't give you a right to just shoot indiscriminately without knowing what your target is or what knowing exactly what is going on. Um, that to me, this was a guy, I don't know what was going through his mind, but it doesn't matter. The result is he fired that gun, he killed a police officer, and I think he needs to be held accountable for it. I agree 100%. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. And I mean, again, and again, my concern is, I mean, seriously, any drug dealer any gangbanger, any gun runner could use this defense. The police bang on the door, identify themselves as police. You say, well, I, I don't know, this could be a rival gang trying to rob me. So, boom, I'm just going to start shooting through the doors or the windows. I mean, re- really? Could could that possibly be what the law is? I sure hope not. Mark in Sheboygan. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. I'm, yeah, I'm really stunned that uh, they would even allow such a you know, like even allow them to defense to say that, you know, it's self-defense because that's an intruder and an intruder, that's not an intruder case at all. You know, an intruder is when actually someone is actually in your house and then you're trying to protect your family or whatever. 
I mean, you know, he's shooting through a door. The police identified themselves yeah. clearly from what the report was said. And how can they even have a motion or whatever they do, a statute law that would allow him even to, to go self-defense? I mean, that's not an intruder. That's not somebody breaking into your home. Well, I mean, hit, what what they're going to argue? No, thanks for the call. I mean, what what the what I predict the argument will be is, yes, they were screaming police. Yes, they said search warrant, but he didn't necessarily believe them. This could be, you know, members of some gang that's trying to do this. He didn't believe that that was necessarily the case. Nine o'clock in the morning, so he's just firing indiscriminately. See, I, I don't think you have a right to do that. Change the facts a little. All right, maybe you change the facts a lot, and, and maybe you can contrive some way where that, you know, theoretically you could get self-defense. But the, the, the facts of this case, I, I think, are pretty clear. You have somebody grabs his AK-47 and decides that, I, I don't know, he's going to shoot through the door. And in this particular case, by doing that, he kills a Milwaukee police officer. You know, the jury's going to be the one that ultimately decides this. But candidly, I, I don't think this is even close. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. What, 76 degrees outside? A very, very pleasant day. These are the types of days that we wait all year around here in Wisconsin for. Hope you get a chance to enjoy it. All right, Brewers. Brewers fans, join us at the Waukesha Meyer this Saturday from 11 to 1. You can meet Freddie Peralta, get an autograph, and you can also enter for a chance to win tickets to an upcoming game. That's this Saturday from 11 to 1 at the Waukesha Meyer. All Brewers fans are welcome. All right. Uh, there's a number of Democratic candidates that are going to be in town over like, last night and, and today. They're here because there is a convention of a Latino civil rights group, the League of United Latin American Citizens. Okay, and so they're having this convention. It's down at, at Potawatomi, and you're going to have a number of the Democratic candidates, not all, but several who are going to be addressing them on issues of concern to that group, namely you know, immigration, open borders, things of the like. The Milwaukee police chief, Alfonso Morales, uh, was speaking before the group yesterday, and he came out and he endorsed the idea of Wisconsin joining a handful of states that allow people who are illegally in the country to obtain driver's licenses. As you will recall, the new governor, Tony Evers, this is one of his platforms. He thinks it's very important to do this. He tried to insert a provision like this in the budget, got stripped out, and it went nowhere in the Republican-controlled legislature. But Evers was back yesterday saying, yeah, this is important for him. He wants to give people who are legally, illegally in this country driver's licenses. I don't think it's a good idea. 414-799-1620. Now, here's the argument that gets made in favor of this. The argument is, yes, you have these people that are in the country illegally. They don't care whether or not they can legally obtain driver's licenses because they're going to drive anyways. They need to drive to work to get to their jobs. They need to drive their kids to school. They need to drive to the bowling alleys. They need to drive to, you know, wherever. They need to drive. So the fact that they're in the country illegally doesn't discourage them from committing the crime of driving without a license. So the argument is, 
well, we, we might as well just go ahead and do this because, yes, they're here illegally, but they're going to drive anyways, so let's just give them driver's licenses. And if you would say, well, why would you do that? The argument is, well, okay, maybe it would maybe it would reduce reckless driving because you're in this country illegally, you're driving, the police try to pull you over, you know you don't have a driver's license, so that gives you, this is the argument, that gives you more incentive to flee. I'm going to take off because I don't want to get caught driving without a license. So, boom, I'm, I'm more likely to flee. The argument is by, by sanctioning this, what you have is you might encourage people to not flee the police, not run red lights, but rather simply pull over when the police pull them over because they're going to have a driver's license. And in many communities, keep in mind, the police are directed not to cooperate with immigration. So it won't matter if you're here illegally, if your presence is here illegally, you know, they're not going to dime you out. They're not going to turn you in for that. So that's essentially the argument. People do it anyways. We should just normalize it, endorse it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, I, I hate to go back to the idea of what part of illegal don't we understand, but because it's somewhat of a cliche. But seriously, what part of illegal do we not understand? Now, if you want to figure out immigration reform and figure out a way for the, you know, X million people that are in this country illegally and have put down roots, if you want to figure out a way for them to, to stay in some sort of path to permanent residency, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I don't. And it's unfortunate that one of the things of the last couple of years is Congress couldn't get together on some sort of meaningful reform of the immigration laws. Having said that, I think, you know, it's still illegal to be in this country, you know, if you don't have a green card or whatever. And to have the government essentially sanction your presence by giving you a driver's license, I think pretty much makes a mockery of the entire system. And for what it's worth, I don't believe it's going to reduce reckless driving one whit. I I just, I don't believe that that's going to be the case. I am also extremely concerned with the idea that once you get that driver's license, okay, that's that's a proof of identity that, again, I think you would be able to use, and I understand some people say, oh, no, that's not going to happen. You would be able then to use for other things, perhaps voting, perhaps setting up other things that would further establish you in this country when you're not legally allowed to be here. If you want to deal with this issue, the first thing to do is figure out you know, how we have to change the immigration laws, and then everything flows. Until you do that, I don't think we should be giving driver's licenses to people who are here illegally. 414-799-1620. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Uh, yeah, Jeff, how, how are you Hi. doing today? Good. Uh, you know, this, it's policies like this that really now bring into question, what does it even mean to be a citizen anymore? Because if you're a citizen like you and I have been our whole lives, mm-hmm. we have to follow all the rules. But if you just come into this country and you get rewarded like this, mm-hmm. what what does it even mean to be a citizen anymore? You know, you know it's interesting you should mention it. I, a couple of weeks ago, I, I was at a wedding, and one of the gals I was talking to, she was one of the, the bridesmaids. She just became a citizen. Um, you know, she went through the whole citizenship process. She was from, from Asia. 
you know, came into this country and just within the last couple months got her citizenship. And, and she was so proud of that. And she worked hard to do it. And she passed the citizenship test and all these type of things. And I, I, I always wonder what it what it says to, you know, somebody like that who played by all the rules and, and went through all the hoops to become a citizen. If we're going to now say, well, you know, n- never mind. You know, you're a chump if you do that. Here, we're going to give you a driver's license. Just come in illegally. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what you're getting into, the discussion. It, you, you're just, it's like you're a chump. You went through all the, the, the learning and you took the tests, and it, it is a big deal. You've seen this on TV where people, you know, become citizens and they, you know, go through all of that. Right. And now, just because we need some cheap labor around here, this is what we're going to do. Well, again, thank you. Everybody else has- yeah, yeah, everybody no. else has to play by the rule. Well, again, I see, and, and again, I see. My point, my bigger point is, I, I think we have to. I think there needs to be a look at the overall immigration system to figure out a way. Since we can't, we don't have the resources, and I've made this argument many times. We don't have the resources to deport nine or ten or eleven million people. We we just don't. So I think it makes more sense to try to figure out a way to allow people who've been here for years and aren't causing problems, not necessarily a path to citizenship, but a path to legal residency. Right? That would be what I would argue. But until we do that, I just don't think you can normalize this. And and again, I, I understand that some people that the people that are, are promoting this are saying, oh, this that this isn't you know, this this isn't a way to get people voting illegally and all. But the truth of the matter is, once you normalize the illeg- illegal, the illegal presence, which is what this does, you give people driver's licenses. OK, now that's this form of proof of identification. I do think it makes it easier for people to then choose to vote, but it also makes it easier for them to, again, stay in this country when they're not legally entitled to be here. And I will tell you, you're just not, I think the whole, as I said a minute ago, I think the whole idea of like, oh, this is going to reduce reckless driving, I, I don't I don't buy that. I think that's a red herring. Bob in St. Francis. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Yes, hello. Hi, Bob. Hi. What do you think? Uh, I think that... Uh, um uh, going back to uh, our forefathers and foremothers and everybody that's come to this country that has worked so hard to follow America's rules because America is where they want to live. America is where they want to raise their family. Everyone in my past generations, your past generations, has followed America's rules in order to enjoy all of these things. If we're going to do this now, that's just uh, these people... And as far as I'm concerned, they work so hard for this. Why is this going to be easier now? This country is still a great country. It's the greatest country on earth. And if you want to live here and you want to be a citizen and you want to do it legally, well, you got to put in the work. And uh, that's what this country has been based on is work. And so in order to, if you're just going to hand stuff to somebody, they're not going to appreciate it. That's well, I, no, thanks. Well, I mean, again, I, I don't know if it's a question of appreciating it or not, but but to me, it normalizes illegal behavior. And I guess that's the best way I should have it. Now, I should mention that 12 states, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, they do decide to issue driver's licenses to 
illegal aliens, undocumented immigrants. But that's still that's still in the the minority of this. And I guess I just don't see a compelling reason to go ahead and do it. 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation in just a moment. I understand that there's politicians out there and appointed government officials who want to pander to a, a certain community. And there is a certain lobby out there that this is what they want to have. Okay, I just don't think this, number one, I don't think it encourages the rule of law. Number two, I don't think it makes the community any safer. On top of that, you know, what does it say to all the other law-abiding citizens who follow the rules if now we're going to say, well, oh, okay, don't don't worry about that. We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, Ramon in Elkhorn. Hi, Ramon. It's Raymond. Raymond. Okay, got it. Ram- Raymond in um, Elkhorn. I would just like to say that if you give, the, give them the driver's licenses, wouldn't that ultimately document them in the country as being illegal aliens? Well, or me, un- unregistered. You you raise a very interesting point, Raymond. What? You know, if we were to do this and allow somebody who is illegally in this country to get a driver's license, do you think then we should be able to share that information with, like, customs and say, hey, you know, here's these 50 people in Madison. They have driver's licenses. This is their address. And by the way, they're here illegally. If we do this, would it be only fair to share that information with authorities? Well, I think it would because ultimately isn't the Department of Motor Vehicles part of the government? I, I would think so, too. I guarantee you, though, that, you I know, you, yeah, you, no, no, I, I, I agree. No, no, thanks for the call. I see. I but you have to understand that that's not going to happen. See, anything right. Anything that would allow somebody in this country illegally to get a driver's license, there, there's going to be policies that come with it that say, OK, well, you can't share this because if you share this with customs and then they, you know, then they take enforcement action on this. Well, then nobody's going to want to sign up for it, which is, of course, the the, the dirty catch 22 of the, this whole thing. Right. I mean, yeah, if you want to have somebody I if, if you want to have somebody who is illegally in this country getting a driver's license. All right, you want to get me on board with it? All right, fine. That information then, including their immigrant status, then immediately becomes a public record available for everybody, including customs and immigration. All right. Now, if you want to go that way, maybe we can talk about it. But I will tell you, nobody pushing this idea wants that. And the idea is, no, we're we're just not we're not going to ask. We're not going to tell. And we're certainly not going to cooperate with immigration. Let's talk to Ron in Fond du Lac. Hi, Ron. You're on WTMJ. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Um, My concern is that if legislation were passed to allow illegal aliens to get a driver's license in Wisconsin, I think it would be like a huge magnet to attract illegal immigrants from our aliens from other states that say, well, we can go to Wisconsin and get a driver's license. Yeah, and once we get the driver's license, that's this form of identification, and we can use that for all sorts of other things. Because, I mean, think about think about how many things that you sign up for. It's, it's your driver's license, which is what you use to prove who you are. Right. I had another concern. Could you or I go to Cuba or Canada or Mexico or France or England as an illegal alien and get a license? I don't think so. I don't think so. Matter of fact, you know, when we've talked about this before, 
you or I go to, let's take France or Ireland. Um, you, you go there, you overstay your visa, for example, and within two or three days, in many cases, you're going to have authorities knocking on your door saying, Mr. Wagner, we hope you've enjoyed your stay here, but it's time for you to go. You know, that's, you know, other con- countries just don't tolerate this like, like we apparently do. Now, thanks to call. I pre- see that these are all sorts of valid, valid concerns. And look, I understand that you have a very, very powerful lobby that's out there now that's pushing the whole open borders concept. And as I said when we started this this topic, I, I do think that you have to have a broader discussion of immigration. And if you accept my premise that the reality is that you can't deport everybody, all right, maybe what we need to do is figure out a way for the people, like I say, who've been in this country for years and years and aren't creating problems and are dug in and have roots. We need to figure out a way that if not a path to citizenship, a path to permanent residency. And once you figure out that path along that path, I think driver's licenses, you know, come into it. But as long as you're in this country illegally, it makes absolutely no sense to me to have that status normalized by giving you a driver's license. And the idea that, well, we're going to do it because people who are in this country are going to drive illegally anyways. Well, okay, think about that. Well, why do we have laws? Why do we have speed limits? Because... You know, people are going to speed, so what? maybe we should just do away with this. Why do we require people to have driver's licenses at all? Because, you know, people drive without licenses all the time. Maybe we should just do away with that. That's really the logic that's out there, and it's the logic that I reject. Coming up in just a couple minutes, mom and dad, you might want to have the sex talk with your kid because the school is about ready to give them condoms without telling you. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Let's talk about Madison West and a new policy that they are going to have in place for the upcoming year. I have to tell you up front, I think the world has gone absolutely crazy. It's just gone absolutely crazy. But let us discuss this. Now, Madison West High School, just like in our last segment, the the rationale for giving illegal people in this country illegally driver's licenses is that, well, they're going to drive anyways, so why not? I mean, they're violating the law, so why not do it? All right, Madison West has taken the position that we have a number of students who are having sex. And since they're having sex, here's what we should do. We are going to offer them free condoms. Here's the program. And, you know, we're going to we're as a way of doing this, because since they're going to be having sex anyways, we want to give them free condoms because hopefully we'll get them to use the condoms and that will stop the spread of sexually transmitted diseases. Here's the story. The school this fall will be launching a pilot condom availability program to provide the condoms to students who request them for free in an attempt to prevent sexually transmitted infections and teach them about sexual health. While the program is still in the planning stages, here's what they say. Students go into the nurse. They will be told about reproductive health. They will have proper condom use explained to them. Wouldn't you love to have that job? Here's how you put this on. 
And they will also be counseled on sexual consent when they first seek a condom from the nurse's office. Right, so we're going to have this conversation. Make sure that you know your partner consents to this, and then they're going to give them the condoms. Now, do you notice one thing that is missing from that description that I just gave? And that would be any interaction with the parents at all. Uh, parents, at least as far as I understand this program, parents don't need to give consent. Parents don't need to give permission. So if you're 13 or 14 year old son or daughter decides well I want to be sexually active but I want to be responsible about this and I want to go get my my free condom I can do it and I can talk to the nurse and the nurse is going to show me how to do this and mom and dad aren't going to know anything about this as at all now the rationale says, well, you know, this is a good thing because it's going to destigmatize the conversation about what options young people have. And, yes, we understand that, you know, sex at the age of 13 or 14 or 15 is probably not that great an idea and abstinence is better. But what the heck, they're doing it anyways. So let's facilitate this and hopefully do it in a responsible way. And, and yes, but before, if there's something in the back of your mind going, wait, I thought in Wisconsin – that it was, you know, illegal for people below a certain age to have sex. And don't I remember about these stories about, you know, 15-year-olds and 17-year-olds and people being criminally charged? And wasn't there a case where you had a 15-year-old boy having sex with a 15-year-old girl and they were both committing crimes? And if you remember that, the answer would be yes. Yes, and in various iterations of this, it would be uh, against the law to, to do this. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Very few. This is not something that is uncommon in colleges. You know, many public colleges do this. You know, it's the free condoms. It's that type of thing. And, and again, the rationale is people are going to do it. We want to encourage safe sex. We don't want to have the – we don't want to have unwanted pregnancies. We don't want to have the sexually transmitted diseases. Of course, at college level – you're talking about adults. Here you're talking about, again, I mean, you know, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds. Now, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm not against safe sex, okay? I understand that. And I'm all in favor of this idea of, okay, we don't want to prevent sex. We want to prevent sexually transmitted diseases and things of the like. At the same time, I mean, doesn't there need to be a parental component to this? And given the fact that in various, like I say, circumstances, below a certain age in the state of Wisconsin, it's still illegal for kids to do this. Isn't there a problem with the school essentially sanctioning this and facilitating it by giving out condoms? I understand that this is a noble idea. And I understand and support the whole principle that you don't want kids getting sexually transmitted diseases and you want to have safe sex. But when you're dealing with high school age students, don't mom and dad have or shouldn't mom and dad have a role in this number one? And how does this interact with state laws? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Okay, let's start with Susie in Milwaukee. Susie, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. I think this is a great idea. I think that students should be informed about uh what's happening. Uh they already the average age of kids starting uh, sexual uh, intercourse is gone down between 11 and 12 years old now, 
and the students don't know anything about anything. The parents are not giving them the information. So they're going to do it uh, whether they have the information or not. Well, see, I'm not against the, let's be clear here. I'm not against the information that this isn't a rail about sex ed. This mm-hmm. is, they're giving them the condoms and they're not telling right. the parents. Right. Is but that different? The students are, the, no, because the students are going to have sex and not tell the parents anyway. So they might as well have a safe way, a, a somewhat safe way to have sex because, uh, um, stu- students should know also that condoms are not 100% foolproof against birth. Uh, pregnancy or uh, STIs or STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, and if somebody's telling them that, uh, they think it's the the cure-all for everything, even if they go out and buy their own, mm-hmm. and it's not. Do you so think? Do you think we should? Do you think? Let me ask you this, Susie. We currently have have laws in this state that say, okay, for example, it, it's unlawful for a seventeen year old to have sex with a fifteen year old. Um, since since the kids are doing this anyway, should we just forget about those laws? Well, I'm not sure about the law. I know the law is there, and if anybody under the age of 18, I also know that that law is very rarely enforced unless there is some strict parent or some uh, different type of activity going on that's, that also has to do with it uh, as far as, as it being, um, as far as somebody actually uh, following through with the law. So I don't know what they should do with the law. I'm not in the justice system, but I am in the education system, and I do know that students need to have this information and have correct information and know what they're doing before they're doing it, not I, after they're doing well, it. Well, so they don't, again, we're, we're, we're talking in some respects about two different things. I, I don't have an objection to the information. You know, if, if you, if you want to have classes where, you know, people preach, now, now candidly, I, I would think, especially given the state of the law, and I mean, I, I would think, you know, abstinence would be, you know, your first priority. But, but okay, maybe I'm old-fashioned in that regard. So, okay, let's say I have, I don't have any problems about, you know, giving people education. I, that's not my beef. I think it's different. It's one thing to educate people and to talk about sexually transmitted diseases and all that. It's another thing when a 14-year-old girl, without her parents' consent, comes into a nurse and says, hey, I, I, I want a couple condoms. Um, I've got a 17-year-old boyfriend, and, you know, I, I'm ready to go all the way with him. All right, at, at that point in time, I mean, don't, don't mom and dad have a role in this? Don't mom and dad have a, a right to know about this? Is the school facilitating behavior that I think a lot of us would say isn't necessarily a positive sort of thing? Or, I mean, do we just simply say, like we did in the last segment, well, they're going to do it anyway, so why not make it easier? 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Are you parents really okay with this? I I mean, I'm just... I'm trying to imagine this scenario. Your 14-year-old daughter wants to become sexually active and so doesn't want to talk to you about it, doesn't want to talk to your husband about it, you know, doesn't want to talk to the wife about it. She, but, she, but she wants to become sexually active with her, with her 17-year-old boyfriend. All right? She's decided that she wants to do this. So in Madison, she can now, because she's responsible, she can go in and the school district will give her a condom. Okay, and they won't tell you, 
they won't tell you the mother or father that they are doing this. Again, I look, if this was a situation where there was some parental notification or parental consent to participate in the program, all right, then it might be a different dynamic. It might be a different conversation, but I don't think that's the case. Got a text here. Somebody says, are they providing the motel room? Well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's next. We're going to set up a couple classrooms at the end of, you know, the C hallway and, you know, we'll, we'll put on some very white music and, and we'll see. I mean, 414-799-1620. And, and don't get me wrong. Again, I I appreciate I appreciate the whole concept of, you know, first of all, old fashioned, you know, maybe abstinence for minors is a better way to go. I understand that that's not the reality nowadays, but does that mean that you need to normalize it? And I'm not against sex education. I'm not. But this to me, this providing condoms to 13 and 14 year olds and 15 year olds, to me, that's that's kind of like setting up the safe injection sites for for heroin in San Francisco. We're going to do it anyways. So here, you I mean we might as well provide a safe place for people to shoot up. They're going to do it anyway. So here, let's give them condoms. And I guess if I were a parent and I found out that the school nurse was giving my kid condoms without me knowing about it, I would be mad as heck. Uh, about that, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. You know that's the Acunet Mortgage. You know talk and text line. Is the school facilitating this? Let's talk to Matt in Oshkosh. Hi, Matt. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Good. What do you think? Hey, I, I, one of the big problems here is the parents. Is is I have a child that's uh, just coming in a year left to go in, in high school, one coming in, and what I see is so many parents don't have these conversations with their children. And they're leaving their children all by themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can they can take a health class during school that is usually a summer class nowadays. It's a couple weeks, and they don't really get nothing out of it. And the parents aren't doing their job and following up with their children, going, "Are you having sex? Are you sexually mm-hmm. active? What's going on in your life?" And people aren't doing that. And so many kids are just getting left with trying to figure it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. At least there's a safe place for them to get it, and and hopefully the nurse is having a real conversation with these kids. And not just go, oh, here you go, have have a wonderful day. If they're literally talking, you know, using each of these touches with these kids to say, hey, you know, five minutes spiel on on making sure you're the, the person is consent and all that stuff, and are you ready enough and all that kind of stuff. At least somebody's dealing with it because a lot of these kids, nobody's doing that with them. Okay, so your 14 year old daughter, you find out that your 14 year old daughter has been sexually active with her 17 year old boyfriend, and you find out that that. That, that it was the school nurse that gave her condoms and knew that she was going to be sexually active with her 17-year-old boyfriend, and, and you weren't you were completely cut out of the loop. You're not going to be mad? Well, well it depends. Was I, was I actively talking with her? I don't if know. If I was actively talking with her, then that shouldn't have happened. Those things, that should have went down a whole different direction. If I didn't care whatsoever and I didn't approach my, my daughter because of, I didn't want to talk to her. Or I just didn't feel the need to, or thought the school. Didn't well, 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 what about if you've been talking about your daughter saying, "Look, I, I just think it's, I, I, I think it's too, I think it's too young." You know, we we want you to hold off on being sexually active. We think fourteen or fifteen is just too young. You might disagree, but we just don't want to do this. We don't want you to do it. And then she decides she's going to do it anyways, and it's facilitated by the school. You mad as, about that? Well, as you just said, she decides to do it anyway. So if she decides to do it anyway, she can buy them at Walmart just as easy yep. as she can get them at, at the school for free. 
So either way, it's going to happen. Yeah. At least, at, unless, at least if she goes to Walmart, no one talks to her about it. If she goes to school, at least someone says, hey, are you sure you're ready? Uh, okay. Are you being pressured? Okay. Thanks for call. Well, I mean, I, I, but of course the difference is now you have, you have the public school that's doing this. I mean, it, okay, this, if this is now the new standard, they're going to do it anyways. Is there is there no limitation on on things? And I'm seriously, I mean, you 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 have a law in Wisconsin that says it's against the law for people below certain ages to have intercourse. Okay, all right. So, or we're not going to pay attention to to that to that law. Um, is is there anything? I mean, should we simply say, okay, well, we know that the high school kids are going to, we we know that they're going to be a certain percentage are going to be injecting heroin. So you know, we're concerned about needles. So okay, here, your your fifteen year old girl daughter wants to shoot up heroin. We're not going to tell you. Here, we're going to give her clean needles to facilitate it. I mean, is this is this really where we are as a matter of good policy? And I do understand that that fourteen year old girl can walk into the, the drugstore and can buy the condoms off the shelf. I, I think that, I don't know if there's an age limit for, for that or not, but, you know, they can, I don't know if people are ID'd on those types of things. But at least in that case, it, it's not the school that is facilitating this. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mary in Waukesha. Mary, or WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I completely agree with you. I don't think that this is the school's responsibility. They shouldn't be getting involved in this in one manner at all. We have to sign something for our kids to even get an Advil or a Tylenol at our school. Yeah. Go to a Catholic school. We have to sign that. This public school wants to do this without telling a parent at all. I have a huge problem with this. I have a 17-year-old. I have a 20-year-old. We talk to them about this all the time. Yeah, you know what? I get I get it. They can go into Walmart. They could buy something. But the school, they should not be involved in that. Yeah, I, I guess and see, and, and that's the thing. And then, you know, what what happens? What happens down the line? You know, the, you're you're the mom or you're the dad, and and you know you've you maybe you've preached abstinence or, or whatever, and then you find out that you know your your 14 year old daughter, you know, has, has had sex with the 17 year old boy, and the condom didn't work or they didn't use it right, and now she's pregnant and stuff, and that the school nurse essentially facilitated this. I, I if I'm I'm that mom or dad. I'm, I'm disappointed and I'm mad as heck at my daughter. But I'm also saying to the school nurse, you know, you you knew or you should have known that your my 14 year old daughter was going to be having sex with a 17 year old, and you gave him condoms and didn't tell me. I if I was a dad, I'd be mad. I'd, I'd be disappointed in my kid, but I'd be livid. I would, I would be livid more so again because there is a legal responsibility here also. There is a reason why we say that 18 is the age of consent. Right. The bottom line is kids' brains are completely developed by then, so they can make really poor decisions. You really want to put that on at school? What if a, what if one of the people forgets to, to say one thing? That are, yeah, as a parent, if my kid ends up pregnant, am I going to sue the school? Right. I, I have no patience for this. This is absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe a public school is even thinking about doing this. Well, no, thanks to God. They're, they're not just thinking about it. They're, they're doing it. And look, and I understand intellectually the reasons that, you know, they, you know, you're concerned about the sexually transmitted disease rate. You're concerned about, you know, unwanted pregnancies. All those are noble concerns. And I'm not anti-education. I, I'm not anti-education, but but this isn't just education. This is that next step, which to me is facilitating conduct, which in many cases is still against the law in the state of Wisconsin.
Let's take a quick break. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, in, in fairness, West High School in Madison, they, they perhaps have a bigger problem with sexually, with, with premarital sex and sexually transmitted diseases and elsewhere. Um, let's see, the uh, Public Health Madison-Dane County for the school district. Uh, for the school district, the number of instances of sexually transmitted infections at West High School increased from about 40 in 2015 to 90 in 2017. Um, the district, now this is also a staggering number, said 60% of West High School respondents to this 2018 survey. So it's 60% of the people, the high school kids who responded, 60% said they had had voluntary sexual intercourse at least once compared to 35% of students at all Dane County high schools. All right, I, I understand people, okay, Eric Bilstep. 60% at this one high school uh, of the kids that responded said that they were sexually active. Does that strike you as a large number? It does. It yeah. does. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand that. Maybe I, you'd be embarrassed to say no. I don't. I, I don't. I don't know. So you think that's artificially high? Well, I, I, I just question whether or not. 60 per, right. I mean, 60% of, of, and of course, you're keeping all four grades there. You know, you're talking mm-hmm. 60% of, of a high school being sexually active. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just naive. Maybe this is everything that's going on. Maybe that's why bowling is, is not as popular as it once was. You know, we, th- this is what's going on. And, Rue, and you want to wait in? And, and, and on the survey, because I got it in front of me here. From, so from last year, from 2018, 305 of them said that they were sexually active. And 21% of them said they would never use a condom at, whenever they would do that. So my graduating class... I went to Wausau. My graduating class class was around that size, 300. And if like 20% of those that are sexually active, and that's not even the number that are sexually active, but 20% of them aren't using a condom, that's that's a large number. It is. It is. I I just... I, I just, I, I don't mean to sound like this, that this old timer and stuff. And I, I, I mean, I grew up in the, I grew up in the '60s and the '70s, so I get this whole concept. But, um, I mean, I guess sixty percent of a high school being sexually active. Um, I know parents lock up your kids. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Well, that was an interesting conversation. Join WTMJ's Melissa Barkley this Saturday afternoon from 1 to 3 to celebrate 100 years of the West Dallas Farmer's Market. That's right. Southeast Wisconsin's largest open-air farmer's market is turning 100. There will be giveaways, live music, food trucks, and much more. That's this Saturday from 1 to 3 at the West Dallas Farmer's Market. Do not miss it. All right. Uh, the, The announcement... Contrary to what were some of the earlier reports, President Trump appears to be backing down on his insistence that the census that is going to be the forms are being printed now. Every 10 years, the government has to, um, you know, the government has to survey the the people. Um, The president is backing down on his insistence that a question be asked as to whether or not people are actually citizens. I'm glad the president is backing down on this. Now, hear me out. Hear me out. I, I don't think, I don't think there's a reason that the census shouldn't ask about citizenship. I, I don't. And the, the census used to do that in one form or uh, another because the, the reason they take a census is every 10, there's the, the principal reason is to decide you know, where people live for voting purposes. That, I mean, that's really the purpose because, um, in, 
in the United States, you know, we divvy up congressional districts and we divvy up state congre- state congressional districts and we divvy up state assembly districts and state, state senate districts. It, it's based on population. You know, Wisconsin used to have nine congressional seats. Well, we lost population and, and now we have eight. So every 10 years, there's always going to be a movement. Maybe, you know, maybe in one census, the population of the city of Milwaukee is 800,000. Well, okay, 10 years later, maybe it's down to 700,000. Well, that might mean that, you know, Milwaukee doesn't get as many representatives as it had before. And you need the census to find that, that out. I don't think... Personally, it's unreasonable as a question on the census to ask whether or not people are citizens. Now, the argument against this is if you ask if they're citizens, well, what you're going to do is you're going to scare them off. People won't answer. They won't fill out the census forms because they're afraid that that information then sometime somehow the census takers are going to turn that information over to customs and customs going to come and they're going to look and they're going to find the people that said they were not citizens and they're going to catch them and deport them. I mean, that's that's the argument. Now, I think you got to go through a lot of steps of logic to get to there. But that's the that is the argument. And many urban areas in particular that have high concentrations of people who are here illegally, they're arguing, wait, you know, if we ask that citizenship question, it's going to hurt us because people will then underreport. I don't know that that's necessarily a realistic concern. And again, I think it's reasonable to ask, you know, whether somebody's a citizen or not. Having said that, the Trump administration said we're adding this question. It was challenged, like everything the Trump administration does. It went through the courts, and the Supreme Court got involved. And the Supreme Court, a couple weeks ago, or what, a week ago or so, issued a ruling. This is the U.S. Supreme Court saying, based on the showing that's made thus far, we don't think that there's a valid justification for including the citizenship question on this particular census. So the Supreme Court issued a ruling on this and the reports over the last week has suggested that president trump was going to pretty much ignore the ruling of the supreme court and by executive order order that the question be placed on the census anyways as i said at the beginning i don't think it's unreasonable to put this question on i I don't but and here's the important but the supreme court had blocked this And I think as somebody, and I said this when President Obama was president, and I say this when President Trump is president, there is this thing called the rule of law. And I I don't, I am troubled by presidents, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, just using these executive orders to bypass the rule of law. I was troubled when President Trump did this to circumvent Congress to, you know, just order money. To, to build a wall it has nothing to do with whether or not the wall should be built. It just it is the process that's there. And I think, you know, we have to sometimes you have to put your partisan hat aside and say, OK, do we even if we like the guy that's trying to do it or the gal that's trying to do it? You know, what, what happens three years down the line when it's a different president and they start to use executive actions to do something that we, we don't like? What if a president, Elizabeth Warren, says, well, remember when President Trump said there was a border crisis and he said to hell with Congress, he's going to spend this money anyways to build the wall. Well, what about when President Elizabeth Warren says, 
well, I think there's a gun crisis that's here, and I'm going to use all this money to, I'm going to spend all this federal money to confiscate guns or something like that. And I just use that as an example. You've got to be really careful. So while I don't have a problem with the citizenship question, at least at this point, the Supreme Court had said no. And I think President Trump would have been wrong were he to have just said, I think he would have potentially created a constitutional crisis if he had simply said, I don't give a rat's rump about what the Supreme Court says. I'm going to put this on anyways. Now, my understanding in the early reports are he's he's working on trying to find another way that the question could be asked, maybe outside of the census. Right. That's a whole different thing. I mean, the Supreme Court didn't say you can't do that. And my guess is he has all sorts of executive authority to do separate surveys or things like that within his power. My only concern was I didn't want to see this president or any president just simply say, well, I'm going to ignore the order of the Supreme Court because I'm the president. You know, we are a country of laws. We have three separate branches, the executive, the judicial and the legislative, and they all work together. And this would have been if President Trump had gone ahead and said, to heck with the Supreme Court, I'm going to put this question out there anyways, it would have been it would have been precipitating a potential constitutional crisis over over an issue that, in my opinion, is not worth the fight. And so I'm glad he's backing down on this. If he can figure out another way to have the Commerce Department survey America as to, you know, whether people are citizens or not, that that may well be good. But to try to do it in the light of the Supreme Court ruling on the census, glad he's backing down. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I think there needs to be a statute of limitations on trying to collect old debts. Let me explain. The big story in the Chicago Tribune today, and we, we all know Illinois is broke, right? You know, Illinois is just a, a fiscal mess. What a number of counties in Illinois have been doing over the last couple years is they have been hiring collection agencies to go out and try to collect old debts, right? Follow me. I'm okay with this so far. You know, you you, you haven't paid a fine or something. They're, they're out to collect. And, and the deals they cut is the collection agencies, they only get paid if they get money in. That That's the deal. Apparently in Illinois, they can add like a 30% collection fee on top of it so if you've got a hundred dollar ticket that you haven't paid um they they can go after you for 130 bucks and the collection agency gets its 30 dollars that's how the collections agencies get paid all right so that this is fine but but here's what's been going on the chicago tribune has a fascinating story a number of people who are getting calls from collection agencies are for debts that are supposed were supposedly you know, incurred 30 and 40 years ago. Yes, you heard me right, 30 and 40 years ago. For example, there's a story. When Melanie Little received a call with an Illinois area code, she answered, thinking it might be someone from her childhood in southern Illinois. Instead, it was a collection agency calling about an unpaid traffic ticket in Jefferson County from 1983 when she was around 14 years old. She says, I wouldn't have been legally able to drive. And she is one of many, many former Illinois residents or current residents who are getting these calls, oftentimes repeatedly, from collection agencies who are hired in counties in the state to collect unpaid tickets, many of which 
70s, 80s, etc., in an effort to try to generate money. Um, there's another one. There's this one company, Credit Collection Partners. They collect debts for 40 of the state's 102 counties. Um, somebody said they were getting all these nasty phone calls saying you owed $154.88. And they send a note to the Department of Consumer Affection saying, well, first, the name on this thing is misspelled. Secondly, the offense date was 26 years ago. I would have been 15 years old. The complaint is criminal trespass to land. I don't think I could forget such a thing. In another one of the cases, this guy says they're trying to collect like $250 that they say are a fine I had from from the early 90s for fishing without a license. He said, I first of all, I don't ever remember getting any of these tickets like this. And, you know, I've always had fishing licenses. I can't, but I don't have records going back to the 1990s to prove that I got a fishing license. How can I prove this? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am all in favor of, of people having to pay their legitimate debts. Don't get me wrong. I think that's fair. I do think, though, when it comes to, I think, debtors in general, but particularly these government agencies, there needs to be some sort of reasonable statute of limitations. I mean, look, I, I keep decent records. If I got a phone call or a notice saying, Jeff, back in 1984, you know, you had a, a ticket for loitering or, or whatever, and you were fined 75 bucks and you didn't pay it. And I say, I never got a loitering ticket in 1984. How, how do you prove that? And should you be subjected to that? At some point in time, I think if you haven't been able to collect a debt, I think you got to just let it go. And I don't think it's fair to be turning these things over to collection agents and trying to track down people from 30 or 40 years ago for things that, number one, might not be right, but number two, are so old that you're never going to be able to prove it. And even if they did pay it, they're not going to be able to prove it. 414-799-1620. How do you feel about, how would you feel about getting a call from a collection agency saying, you had a traffic ticket in 1983, we want you to pay up? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstein, do you know who Jim Bouton is or was? Jim Bouton? No. Before your time. I won't even ask you. Jim Bouton, you know who he is? You can say no. You don't. You're, <laughs> you're shaking your head. Okay, well, <clears throat> Jim Bouton, he, he passed away at the age of uh, 80 yesterday. Jim Bouton wrote the, the book Ball Four, and if you have ever, I, I, I highly, I don't even know if it's still in print, but, all right, the, the first real kind of tell-all book about sports was um, Instant Replay that Jerry Kramer um, wrote with Dick Schapp, and it was the, about the 1967 season with the, the Green Bay Packers, and it was, he kept a diary, and, and he wrote it. Jim Bouton was a baseball player for the he, – he, most of his career was the New York Yankees. He started in like 60 or 61. So this was some of those 
those really good Yankee teams, Roger Maris, Mickey Mantle, and all that. And he pitched for the Yankees until like '66 and '67, and they had a they had a rough patch there. And then his 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 arm he started having arm problems, and then he went to the Houston Astros. He pitched for the Seattle Pilots that 1969 before they became the Brewers. But the thing that made Bouton famous is this ball four was. Uh, a no-holds-barred account of what it was like to be a baseball player. And um, he became a pariah. It was, it was a bestseller, but he became a pariah because this was back in the day where you know everybody just idolized these baseball players and stuff. And he, he'd, he'd write about, you know, like what happened on the road, like all these, these Yankees, not, you know, they, they were as many women as they could find. They're mm-hmm. they all cheating right. on their wives. He talked about you know, Mickey Mantle, who was this icon, and he'd, tell, he'd write all these stories about what a jerk Mickey Mantle was to kids who were, like, asking for autographs mm-hmm. and what an awful person Roger Maris was. And, and so he wrote all these things, and it really was this kind of tell-all about how – he, he, he just about it just blew the lid off of baseball, and he became a pariah because all his teammates got hacked off because their wives got hacked off. I mean, they're reading this book oh, sure. and they're finding I, out, yeah, okay, the nineteen sixty three team, they're they're moving to Kansas City and they've all got all these women that are in the hotel rooms. Okay, so the wives didn't like that, and baseball didn't like it because it made them all look bad. But he was really he was kind of this this rebel and. He, he always kind of describes himself as at, at the beginning, like as a rookie, he was this sort of like quirky, um, you know, guy that's there to shake it up. And then he quickly just became kind of like the angry veteran, you know, because he was doing all this stuff. But he, um, he, he never really went on to any great deal of success. But um, he passed away at the age of 80 yesterday. And I, I just I don't again, I don't know if this book is still in print. But it, it's really, if you're a sports fan, it's a must read. It, it just is. So, Ball Four by Jim Bouton. A really, really um, interesting guy. The tell all baseball memoir. Okay, let's get started. Matter of fact, as long as we're speaking about baseball, if you are a regular listener to this program, you know, I, I, I leave the sports mostly to, to the sports guys. But every once in a while, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who goes to, I mean, I go to a lot of Brewers games. I'm, uh, I am I share a 20-pack season tickets with my, my friend Evan, and then, you know, I probably go to another five or ten games. So I'm going to go to a lot of games, and I, I enjoy going to the ballpark. Because um, you never know exactly what you're going to see. One of the things that is frustrating to me is it's a lot of the bad calls that that are made. I, I just uh, it's it's a it's kind of a frustrating thing, particularly with balls and strikes. And I understand being an umpire isn't necessarily easy, but I just think I think it's important to be able to get stuff right. And I guess if technology exists to let you get something get something right, I don't know why we don't use it. Which is where th- this story comes in. Professional baseball has apparently signed a deal. Major League Baseball has signed a deal with one of these independent leagues, um, the Atlantic something or other league, and what they're going to be doing. And they started at their All-Star game the other day. They're replacing the umpires with a computerized strike zone. In other words, the umpire behind home plate is no longer going to be calling balls and strikes. There's still an umpire behind home plate because you need you need somebody to rule on check swings and you need somebody to rule on plays at the plate and things like that. But it's all computerized. And the umpire has like a, a pair of AirPods on. And what happens is the pitch comes in and he's signaled as to whether it's a ball or a strike. And then he makes that call. 
the umpire is also there to correct like obvious flaws. For example, if the ball hits the ground and then bounces and it's in the strike zone, the computer doesn't know that it's hit the ground. So the umpire would say, okay, that would be a ball. But otherwise, the calls are made by by the computer. And they're starting to try this out. The experience that they found was that um, the computer is pretty much right. They, they weren't finding any sort of obvious errors. And one of the things they found was that it, it kind of expanded the strike zone. It, it, gave, it gave the high strike that lots of umpires don't give. But the idea is this takes the unpredictability out of the game. All right. As a baseball fan, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you feel about, again, putting that, we all see it when we watch television, you see that box, and instead of having to depend on, on umpires, some of whom are right, some of whom are wrong, some of whom are both, you've got the electronic call. Kind of like the baseline review in tennis. You know, you got the Wimbledon tournament going on here. You've got that computerized thing. It can tell you whether or not the ball hit the line or whether it didn't. All right, 414-799-1620. You still need a body behind the, the plate to, you know, make some of the, again, some of the weird sort, to deal with some of the weird situations and check swings and things like that. But how do you feel about using the technology is this something that benefits the game? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. I have no problem with this. And I guess maybe this just comes from years of watching umpires get it wrong a lot behind home plate. And I guess my feeling is if if the technology exists to get it right, and you can implement it. Why not? Now, I don't think this is ready to roll out, you know, tomorrow in every major league ballpark. And I think you got to figure this out. You got to look at what some of the bugs are. But at least in theory, I don't have an issue with it. What do you think? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Brewers fans, join us at the Waukesha Meyer this Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can meet Freddie Peralta, get an autograph, and you can also enter for a chance to win tickets to an upcoming game. That's this Saturday from 11 to 1 at the Waukesha Meyer. All Brewers fans are welcome. All right, for baseball fans out there, um, the other night at a, a minor league all-star game, for the first time, what they did is they, did, they, they used a, a computer, digital computer, to call balls and strikes. And you know what? It, it went on without a hitch. You still have the umpire back there, but the computer signals him. He signals whether it's a ball or a strike. Is this the wave of the future? Let's start with Bob in Sheboygan. Hi, Bob. Hi. Thanks for talking to me. Sure. Now, in theory, I think this is a great idea. But today's hitters are so good, if they don't change that strike zone on a daily basis, these hitters are going to zone in on it It'll become full pitch softball because, you know, if they don't have to swing at a outside pitch a little bit now and then, slow pitch softball. And if they want high scoring, that's what they'll get. Well, but but is, isn't the strike zone supposed to be the strike zone? I mean, it's supposed to be you know letters to the knees or or whatever it is. I mean, isn't it supposed to be the same from hitter to hitter? Yes, but it's never been that way. 
But if the computer makes it so that it's the same, I'm telling you, these hitters are good enough, they'll make it full-pitch softball. If it don't change, they'll have the ability to change the zone from day to day if they want to. Right. They'll have to do that. Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, see, now I... I guess we're kind of talking about two things. I, you know, I also, I think the strike zone should be expanded. I think it should be wider. I, you know, I, I just, these ideas of, of like this narrow strike zone and, you know, so that I think it really slows down the game. But I guess this really has to do with the accuracy of, of the game. And as somebody who watches lots of games on TV and listens to games on the radio and goes to TV games, I mean, I just see that this variance, and I guess I just see that there's a lot, there's a lot of of bad calls. Maybe because it's just too hard to do anymore. I guess I don't understand why, if you've got the technology, and you can employ it, and you can do it in a fashion that doesn't delay the game, I I don't see why you wouldn't take advantage of that. Um, you know, you're starting. This, this isn't even like it's instant replay. I'm not saying you should be able to argue balls and strikes or anything. It's just let the computer call it. Now, you know, you have to be able to assure that you know the bugs are all worked out of this, and so that's why you're not going to see it in the major leagues tomorrow. But in theory, do you have a problem, Pat in McGuanago? Pat, you're on WTMJ. Yes, uh, here's what I'm saying. I agree with uh, having this uh, you know electronic thing doing it because I watch a lot of ball games at home, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing that box in there, and I'm seeing, you know, like a lot of times we've got the Brewers, they'll get three men on, we've got two outs, and all of a sudden that last pitch comes in, and they say, that's a strike, and we know it was off. Right. And, and it, it's, we should have had another opportunity to have another thing, and we could have got a run in. But I'm seeing that, and some of the attitudes of these home-playing umpires, I go, oh, wow, yeah. uh, I can't believe what I'm seeing. You know, he calls it, well, today he's calling it low. The next day he's calling it high. I mean, you hear it all the time uh, from the announcers, even you know, on the TV from our announcers. Well, you have some right. You have some catchers that are better at, at framing pitches. What you know, that's so that they can take a ball and make it look like a strike and, and essentially yeah. fool the umpire. I guess I just, I mean, I, I, I just, I'm a big fan of, of getting it right. And I, yeah. I believe me, I understand you don't want to slow up the game, but I don't no. think this doesn't slow up the game. The way this works is you've got this guy behind there. He's got the ear buds on, and the computer yeah. right away tells him it's a ball. So you call it a ball or you call it a strike. Yeah, you're right. And then uh, the only thing we need right now is we need some pictures, and I'm, I'm trying to draft some pictures for us. But... Well, they're, they're good. Th- thanks for going. Good, good luck with that. 414-799-1620. Uh, let's talk to Russell in Lake Geneva. Hi, Russell. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Jeff, I, I was really against it, but you might have talked me into it. Okay. Well, <laughs> but, but, well okay. You know, but give me the argument against it. All right. Well, you know, it, it's it's Billy Martin. It's um, Earl Weaver. It's Tony LaRusso. I really enjoyed, you know, you, seeing You the like arc- to have that manager run out and turn his hat upside backwards and then start kicking dirt on the umpire and stuff like I, that, huh? I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, the one thing that I think it really was, and, and it, it would eliminate is. It's the catchers are really getting good at framing pitchers, pitches, and that's yeah. what you you know you just alluded to just a little while ago. And that is you know and that and you, I don't know why umps can't see that, but you know you you do see that more and more every year. Yeah. But you know the human element thing, I, I don't know. I, I just kind of 
old-fashioned, I guess. I just well, you, you know, it. but of course that that went out. With, still then you should be arguing. Then you should be arguing about instant replay. You know, the, the whole thing that like the, the challenges and stuff. You know, because that that's pretty much taken all those arguments about. You know, he was out. He was safe at second base or whatever. You know, replay's kind of taken that all out of the game. Do you not like that? Do you, do you not like that we have replay now? You know, I I, I guess I. I do like that, but I just think, you know, the computer-generated ball-and-strike calls, I, I think that just takes everything out of it, the human element. It just, it's just a little too much for me. Okay, well, I'll talk to you after uh, the, the Brewers get lose a, <laughs> lose a game on a walk-off on a strike that was there. But thanks. I, I, again, I understand. I mean, look, and I, I understand. I, I grew up. I know those guys you're talking about, the Billy Martins and the Earl Weavers of the world. And, I mean, I, I grew up. You, you just love some of these great baseball fights, you know, in the old-style guys. I guess I, I'm just – we we want it right, and there there's so much fan interest, and there's so much money involved, and these games are so important to people, and you've got all this stuff. My thinking and my argument would be, if you can get it right, you know, don't you want to get it right? And, and to to the point he was making, sometimes I, I understand that in in a game something might seem con- inconsequential, but but how many times have you seen that deal where it's okay, it's two balls, two strikes. And the ump misses the call, and it should have been strike three, and instead he calls it a ball. And then, you know, so the guy has, instead of striking out, he gets another chance, and then the guy walks, and the next guy comes up and hits a two run home run, and your team loses. And you could say, okay, well, that's just kind of the rub of the green, that's what happens. But I guess my only point would be, it doesn't have to happen if the technology is available, and, and you're sure that it's going to work. Roger in Bristol. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I agree with you 100%. Uh, you see strikes being called that are six inches offside with the umpire's face, yep. even with it. Uh, you know, they say that uh, as long as they're consistent. So that's bold because they're <laughs> consistently bad. Yeah, you're right. Right, yeah, yeah, they're consistent. Okay, they're, so they're constantly calling pitches that are six inches off the plate strikes. No, I mean, if it's a strike, it's a strike. If it's a ball, exactly. it's a ball, right. Yeah, do the, do the job right, and I, I agree with the fact that we have the technology. Let's let it be done right. Unfortunately, with the union, the umpire union, I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime. Yeah, I don't. I mean, thank, I don't know. See, now the interesting thing here is the way they're implementing it. It's not replacing the umpires. As a matter of fact, I, I'd be curious. To, to talk to major league umpires as to how they feel about the, the replay system. Cause I would imagine that for some of them, it, it's, it's a relief. Now hear me out on this. You know, okay. So like nobody, I understand nobody likes to have being exposed as you, you missed the call. The guy was out at first base and you called him safe. Okay. At least here with, with replay. There's a chance to get it right. So, I mean, imagine that situation again where, okay, the two teams fighting for the playoffs. The game really makes you know, a big deal. A few years ago, before replay, umpire blows a call at first base. The winning run scores. Okay, now at least they can go back and they can say, okay, well, the guy really was out. That run shouldn't score. So the umpire, okay, yes, they got it wrong, and, yeah, they look bad because they missed the call. But at least, at least now they don't have to live with the fact that for – you know, the the rest of their life, they cost this one team getting into the playoffs. You know, it was a chance to get it right. Now, to the point about the umpires, you know, union and all, they're, they're, it's not like you'd lose jobs. 
because you still need an umpire behind the plate. You'll need an umpire to, you know, rule on check swings. You need an umpire to rule that, hey, the ball hit and it bounced, you know, first. So it's, it's a ball. You need an umpire to make the calls at home plate. So I don't know that it would cost jobs. Just something, just something to think about. And I just go back to the basic premise. If technology lets you get it right, don't you want to do that? This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, I understand that this might seem like a stupid question, but but I, but I, I think people in authority need to hear the answer to this. And the question is, all right, is having your car stolen a big deal? And, and the reason I ask this is because... You know, the people that are responsible for making sure that our cars aren't stolen don't seem to, at least the way they behave, don't seem to think that it is that big a deal. And I was looking at a story in the Journal Sentinel the other day. Okay, Shorewood. Now, and, and look, long story short, what's happening is you are having criminals from the city of Milwaukee who are now spreading out to the suburbs and and the number one crime is is car theft so they're stealing people's cars and unfortunately people it, you know the suburbs even some of the suburbs that we consider nice they're not safe anymore because you've got Milwaukee criminals they're spreading in there and so if you used to be able to like for example leave your car unlocked you can't do that anymore that's just the reality and if you're even thinking about leaving your keys in your car, well, don't do that because it's an invitation to rip it off. So here's the deal. Shorewood, okay, just last month, they had 13 stolen cars, vehicle entries, typically unlocked cars. But also on July 3rd, they had apparently seven car windows were smashed. So people, you know, went in, smashed the car windows, and then got in. The cars were, were stolen. Cars stolen from a driveway. Again, it's unlocked. You know, in some cases, police have pursued the car thieves. And, you know, what they find is it's 15 and 16-year-old kids from Milwaukee that are coming out and stealing cars. Whitefish Bay police received roughly 10 reports of stolen cars, unlocked vehicle entries last month. Um, again, it's largely cars that are stolen from the driveways. Two 14-year-old boys arrested for another car theft, which occurred, uh, again, from a block of Lake Drive. Fox Point Police receiving about 10 reports of unlocked vehicle entries in the last month. Additionally, the windows of two locked vehicles were smashed. Police arrested three teenagers caught entering cars in the July 3rd spree. And it goes on and on. And I'm not saying it's always juveniles that are doing this, but a lot of it is juveniles that are doing this. Um, And what you find in many cases is that the kids that are doing this have been doing this over and over again, and there's really very, very little consequence to this. Now, one of the the reasons there's little consequence to this is the fact that I think there's a lot of people in positions of power that don't consider auto theft to be that big a deal. Yes, if it's a carjacking and you stick a gun in somebody's face, well, okay, that's, that's a big deal. But I think there's people out there that just view car theft as being well, okay, cars are insured a lot of times, so yes, it's an inconvenience if somebody steals your car, but it's not like you were it's not like anybody was hurt. The car is just stolen. They're just kids. You know, what do you want us to do to them? Or, you know, I mean, and and don't you realize that there's people out there that are committing violent crimes? 
Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I understand that this, this is almost like, like, it almost sounds dumb to have the conversation. But I think car theft is a big deal. And I think we are unfortunately way too casual about the consequences of this around here. Yeah, I understand if you're driving a stolen car and you run a red light and you hit and kill somebody, there's going to be consequences. I understand that if you, uh, again, stick a gun in somebody's face to steal their car, there's going to be consequences. But by and large, especially if you're a juvenile, just going out and breaking into somebody's car and stealing it, there's going to be little or nothing that is done to you. And I think part of that is this result and this reaction that people think, well, okay, all right, there's worse things that they could do. Is it a big deal? Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Have you ever had your car stolen? And if you've ever come out and found your car gone, missing, stolen, what has been the effect on you? Is it just one where, oh, it's no big deal, I'll call the insurance company, I get the new car in a week, and I've got this new car? Or is it something that really is a big deal? And if the people that are doing it, whether they're 15 years old or whether they're 50 years old, if they're able to pretty much walk away from doing this, shouldn't we be outraged by that? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just, I'm, I'm frustrated because I don't think... I'm not, this isn't an indictment of the cops, but I don't think the prosecutors, I don't think the judges, I don't think people understand what a big deal I believe car theft is and why we need to treat it more seriously. 414-799-1620, have you been a victim and, and what's been the impact on you when you come out and you find, gee, my car's been ripped off? We discuss it just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We're back. Lucy on the west side. Hi, Lucy. Hi. I'm so glad they've made it to the suburbs. Maybe now if a couple of judges or bank executives or doctors get their cars stolen, <laughs> these, these things will be taken more seriously. It's a frustration to you that it's not taken more seriously, right? Well, yeah, it is, because usually you don't get your car back in one piece. Right. It's, it's not just kids. They drive it. I can't say that word on the radio, but you know what I mean, out of the car. And, and right. when you get it back, there's often hundreds hundreds and hundreds of dollars to pay to get it running again, and it's never quite the same. Right. And when it's when it's poor people stealing from poor people, the cops don't care. The cops care. That's not fair. Right. Um, but the, the court system just says, oh, what you said, it's just kids being kids. It's only a property crime. But I'll tell you, when you're dependent on a car to get to work, it's right. more than just kids being kids. Right, and not to mention the sense of violation that, that you have. It's right. your car, and it's been you know taken out of from in front of your house or your alley or whatever. No, th- thanks for calling. You know, it's funny you should should mention that. I have a, a, a an acquaintance of mine used to be a Milwaukee County judge a number of years ago. Doesn't live in the area anymore. He had his. It was it was almost a funny story. He had his he had a new car. The, he had owned the car, and it was big luxury car. He'd owned it for two weeks. He was on the bench, Milwaukee County. It was stolen out of the judge's parking lot, and it was stolen by a bunch of teenagers who used it. They drove it up to um, – there used to be a Chapman store at the Bayshore Shopping Center, and they drove the judge's car 
to the Chapman store that they held up at gunpoint. You know, so he finds out about this when the police show up at lunch and say, we're curious, did you give anybody permission to use your car? And he's saying, no, what do you mean? And he said, well, did you, specifically, did you give these three guys, you know, and they give them the descriptions, permission to take your car and drive it up to Chapman's in Bayshore? No, what are you talking about? And then he finds out they stole the car, they used it in armed robbery. Okay, so the deal was, back in the day, and I don't know if it's still the case, the, insur- the insurance and, and my this judge very fastidious, okay? So the, 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 they wouldn't, the insurance company would not replace the car unless it was missing for 30 days. You had to wait 30 days before they would, they would replace it. Honest to God, true story. They found the car cracked up in an alley in the inner city. People had been living in this, or as the, my judge friend would describe, doing God knows what in this car for the, the better part of like a month since, you know, it had been used in the thing. And the insurance company said, well, okay, we're not going to replace it. What we're going to do is we're going to fix it. And the, the judge was going, I can't drive this thing. Do you know what people have been doing in this car that's been abandoned in this particular alley? Um, I will I bring this point up because ever since that happened to him, I guarantee you anybody that came in front of him with a car theft thing was viewed differently. 414-799-1620. I guess my point is it, it's a, it, it is a big deal. Mike in Bayview. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. My, uh, my wife used to work at Toys R Us on 27th Street. Oh, sure. And what, hap- and what happens is they made all the people park their car in a certain area, okay? Well, that was easy prey for people at night because they knew those cars weren't going nowhere. And nobody was going to be bothering them. So my wife turns around, comes out of work, car is gone. Right. And once you know it, that was the day I polished it. I had it <laughs> nice and shiny. We just we just had a we just got done painting it off too. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Well, well, they found it. Yeah, they found a car on fifteenth uh, and uh, on fifteenth and uh, North, and the thing was smashed. I didn't even recognize what it looked like. I said that can't be my car. I said I said that can't be it. And right. Said, yep, that's your car. So somebody had what driven into a pole or a building or something? Yeah, they drove it into a building. Yeah, that was driven. That what happened was. When they when they stole it, they you know, they broke that thing on the on the on the uh, steering column. Right. And what happens? They think what happened was that the uh, the thing locked, and it, that's when they went into the building. That's what they think happened because the steering wheel no. was locked tight. Well, and and again, and, and I'm sure this was an incredible hassle to you, Mike. You know, even if insurance covered it after your deductible, it's an incredible hassle to go you know deal with this whole thing. Oh yeah, we only had fifty six thousand miles on that car, and I thought, well, you know what? I got a car here. I can get another. You know, maybe another. Uh, maybe hopefully another you know, uh, uh, yeah. fifty or sixty or eighty thousand miles on at least you know, and then to turn around and have it gone, I was furious. You yeah. know, and I mean, I mean, geez, I mean, it, did they ever catch the guy? Did they ever catch the guys that did it that stole it? Uh, they 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 had pictures of the people back then, uh, but not like they do today. Right. But they also, but but then to top it off, though, when they closed up at night, they had three other cars there. What happened was they were stealing cars from other areas, and they were st- they stole uh. Uh, a customer's car that was out in a parking lot uh, next door, and then they stole another one, and they stole all three of those cars at the same time. Yeah, they're all that they're all that same time there. They they use the same gadget they take to steal them with. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. See, I mean, here's kind of the message and the point of this: the this is going to continue until judges in Milwaukee County wake up and recognize that when you've got particularly kids, um, and, and the DA's office won't even try to waive 
car thieves into adult court. Won't, won't even try to do that. And the juvenile judges will do everything they can. I mean, they'll view this. Well, it's a, it's a property crime. It's not that big a deal. Again, until you drive 80 miles an hour and you, you kill somebody when you run through the red light, then it becomes a big deal. But my point is, it's a big deal beforehand. And, and, you know, our first caller, Lucy, it shouldn't, this shouldn't have had to wait till it's getting out to the suburbs. Okay. I, I concede that this has been a problem all along, but what's it going to take for people to, you know, wake up? Jim in Waterford. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Jim. Oh, let's see. A couple of years ago, I had a truck stolen. And the day before they found it wrapped around a telephone pole, it was parked. uh, The guy who stole it parked it in a no-parking zone. And the the parking checker or the cop gave it a parking ticket and never ran it to see if it was stolen. Yeah, see, if they would have done that, I would have had my truck in good condition. Yeah, and see, that's... That's infuriating to me too, and I've heard other stories like that. And I, I understand they're trying to take steps to prevent it, but but you're you're right. There should be something, and there should be a way for people to communicate. And when a parking checker puts a license plate, did it have it? Did it have its license plate on it? Same license plate. Uh, the front fell off. Yeah, but the, the no, but the yeah, the oh, black, so black right. license plate was still there. Yeah, no, so right when when they enter this license plate, they write it a ticket. There should be something that said we, th- this is 2019. I mean, for goodness right. sakes, we've got robotic umpires. Thanks, we got we got umpires that can robots that can call balls and strikes. For goodness sakes, we put a man on the moon in 1969. Yes, we really did. I know there's some people out there that doesn't believe it happened, but it did. You would think in 2019 you could have this system where. The car is in the system, reported as stolen, and you have a, for example, a parking checker who writes a ticket, you know, on that computerized thing, and you would think that when the license plate comes back, the car is stolen, there would be all sorts of bells and whistles going off saying, hey, this is a stolen car. You'd think. But part of the problem is, again, car theft isn't a priority around here. It's just not. And I'm, this is an indictment of the police. They've got all sorts of things to do. But I think, you know, we need to have a wake-up call. And, I, I, you know, m- maybe it's just the car theft coming to the suburbs that gets my attention. And the truth is, even if you live in nice neighborhoods around here, you can't leave your cars unlocked in their driveways anymore. You can't do it. You can't leave your keys, you know, in the cars. You probably, I don't know what you do if you don't have a garage, because part of the problem is if you've got a garage door opener in your car, you have some of these people that break in, steal that garage door opener, then, you know, they potentially, have access to your house. It's a mess, but we need to get more serious about it. This is Jeff Wagner.